on today's episode of Early Music Monday, I just want to go through and try to bridge the gap between early music and normal life, for lack of a better word, and talk about a book called The Oz Principle and find out how the concept of line is incorporated. It's it's just going to connect all the dots. So get ready for Early Music Monday. So I've been reading a book called The Oz Principle. The Oz Principle is a business book. Because why not? It's by Roger Connors, Tom Smith, and Craig Hickman. So The Oz Principle, when I first thought of it, I was like, The Oz Principle, what in the world is this? The Wizard of Oz, I don't understand But here's the basic premise of the Oz principle. We'll go through this and then we'll connect it to like some composers and we'll talk about how it connects to early music in general and just how to win at life. You want to be a winner? You got to fuel your mind like a winner. Even though we talked about the infinite game and how the only way to win is to just stay in the game as long as possible. So maybe don't think about being a winner. Think about being a long-distance runner. That's what makes everyone happy, running for extended periods of time. Anyway, the Oz Principle. The main premise of the Oz Principle is talking about taking full accountability and full ownership for everything in your life. And it sounds kind of extreme, But I promise that if you implement these things, you will see significant results in whatever area of your life you apply them. And that will carry over into other areas of your life. So this is why early music is so cool, and that's why I'm so passionate about it, because early music didn't just become something that I'm interested in, but applying life principles to early music and vice versa helped me change my perspective on a lot of things and help me up you know in applying principles to across different aspects of your life you become a better person so it sounds weird but early music made me a better person not a stretch it's accurate it's real so that doesn't mean we like so when they're talking about full accountability that doesn't mean we just blindly give in and not fight for things in our circumstances we don't like but it means that the solution to solving those problems lies with looking inward and not looking outward so in the book they make this comparison between above the line versus below the line here's an example of below the line thinking I'm just so sick and tired of this administration. They just, they don't understand. They don't understand how little budget I have. And they don't understand that I can't do anything if they don't let me do X, Y, Z. And they give the athletic department all kinds of money. But the arts, you know, they don't, 
They don't give us anything. They don't throw us a bone. It's just impossible to work with. That is an example of below-the-line behavior and below-the-line thinking. So they talk about how we need to be above the line. Like an example I've shared on the show before about um, Andrew Crane when he went on tour to California and he saw this really, really, really low socioeconomic school in a really much more impoverished situation singing Renaissance motet or singing a Renaissance motet in this really rundown facility, but they were singing it flawlessly and perfectly. And that is amazing to me. That story will forever be inspiring because it doesn't have to be in a big cathedral or a big private school with ton, arts school with tons of funding. You can teach these concepts regardless of your circumstance, but you have to take full accountability and say, well, okay, we don't have this, can't do anything about it, but what am I going to do with my circumstance? And that really does lead to success. It leads to a lot more in life than just success. Instead of trying to change everybody else's behavior, we really have to focus on changing our own, and that inspires others around us to, to change their behavior. It takes longer, and it's not as immediately gratifying probably, but it's much more long-lasting. So there's chapters in the book. There's see it, own it, solve it, do it. That's how we get out of the victim cycle, the victim cycle of our circumstance or whatever. The way we get out of it is those four steps, and it goes through each step is a chapter. We see it, we own it, solve it, and do it. We have the courage, like the lion, to see it, the heart to own it, like the tin man, obtaining wisdom to solve it, like the scarecrow, and exercise the means to do it, like Dorothy. So it goes through, and you see how, at first, they're victims of their circumstance, the four companions on the yellow brick road. And then over time, as the story goes on, as they meet Oz, they realize that they had the power all along. And they had the accountability was within lie, laid, lied, laid, lay upon them. So what are you going to do about it? What are you going to change? If your audience, if your singers, if your colleagues, if your friends, if your family or whoever, if they don't appreciate your art, quote unquote, or what you're going or whatever else, whoever else might be listening, it doesn't really matter. This applies to any field. What are you going to do about it to change yourself? Now, some of you might be thinking, well, I'm not going to just conform and sell out. You shouldn't. Selling out is not the problem, but forcing it down people's throats is also not the solution. So what are you going to do about it? We are dead in the water if we keep thinking to ourselves, man, they just don't understand, and just keep plunging along. So that's, and the, the most amazing thing is any composer in the history of the world who had success in their day or after their day in the entire history of the world, anybody who had success in anything exercised this principle. That's what Bach did. Everybody thinks about, think about how Bach, there's letters from Bach to his higher-ups asking for more money because he couldn't do anything without enough money. And he had these 
basically amateur musicians in the church for this music that is considered like the best music ever written and this genius monument statue of David but that's not going in Rome it's going in this small tiny church with amateur musicians somewhere in in a small town in Germany that's what William Byrd did writing secret masses for his Catholic cohorts that's what Thomas Tallis did just started writing back and forth Okay, well, we want Anglican music? Okay. Oh, we want Catholic music? Okay. English? Latin? Okay, okay. Didn't care. He was exploring and taking advantage of his circumstance. Does that mean that they gave up on their principles? I don't know. I don't think so. But you have to be willing to take accountability. It's not just seeing and adjusting. It's taking accountability for what you're in control with. See it. Do you have the courage to see it? It's so hard to see it that's the first step and the hardest step and then the heart to own it it's so easy to say oh well and shirk responsibility off of ourselves i can't think of any better example than this than politicians politicians i don't think i've ever heard in the history of the entire planet of a time where reading history books or whatever, where a politician like took ownership and owned a problem. They have no problem owning solutions if they're actually solutions. But if there's a problem, I have yet to hear one. If you have an example of a politician owning a problem and say, hey, we screwed this up, but we're going we're gonna to fix it. it, it probably happens at the local level way more but the the national level at least in the United States no way name me one and every time i hear any politician i don't care what what political party you or values you seem to espouse the, they're so snaky that i don't think i've ever again i challenge you someone who owned the problem so do you own the problem or do you shunt it off to someone else? Oh, well, so-and-so, again, another great, the, the, the administration won't let me teach the class that I want to teach or teach it in the way I want to teach or, or the district has these strict rules or the state has this policy or, you know, the, the other arts teachers in the school do this and do you have the heart to own it? Those, those two, first two are really hard. Obtaining the wisdom to solve it, once you've done that, is not nearly as difficult. It might take a lot longer, though, because this is the learning, the research, the growing, and exercise the means to do it. Are you going to implement the steps, small steps, small steps? And musicians throughout time have done this, but early musicians, how many of them kept composing through a plague? How many of them kept, like, singing and continuing to thrive and adjust to their circumstances and own their own crap for lack of a better word so again even if the composer is not well known or the musicians aren't well known i mean how many like pro choir singers do we know from the renaissance none unless they were famous for some other reason as well but how many of them own their circumstance it's probably not too far off from today. We have a mix of both. So, in the Oz Principle, 
there's this story about a guy named Mike. Mike was working for this big company, and he was over um, the manufacturing, and then and he was amazing. So the company brought him in and promoted him because the, the R&D department was struggling a lot. And so they said, hey, Mike, come and fix this. And in the first year, he struggled, and the employees were talking. He went and asked the supervisor, what are people, what are our employees saying about me? And he doesn't know anything. He's just jumping to conclusions. He never listens to us. And why didn't he stick over in manufacturing where he belongs and all this negative stuff? And Mike lost it. He's like, this is really ridiculous. Why would they move me? This is their fault anyway. What am I doing here? This is so dumb. Blotty, 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 blah. Excuse, excuse, excuse. Just talking. So his friend pointed out, you know, Mike, maybe you should look inward a little bit. And so he does, and he kind of applies these principles and readjusts and reevaluates. He sees the real problems, owns the real problems, and then he goes and he obtains the wisdom to fix it, and then he does it. And it's amazing. So this is a quote from the book that I think is pretty outstanding because it applies not only to this area of like being successful, but I don't know how many students I have that struggle with mental health. Mental health seems to be a big like pandemic proportions of mental health issues going on. And singers are not immune to that choir members, composers, etc. So this is the the quote that I love. Strangely enough, Mike's recognition of his own accountability for the company's poor performance no longer made him feel angry or depressed, but increasingly exhilarated. Boom. So if you want at least I'm not saying that medica- I am not I take Full disclosure, I take medication for anxiety. I'm not against medication. I'm not against therapy. I did therapy. I'd done behavioral therapy. Cognitive behavioral therapy is what they call it. It's It all is crucial. But that concept was what I was missing before, and that concept completely changed my entire life. Of Once I started taking control of like, nope, that's my fault. And it doesn't matter. It's not like my fault is not this bad buzzword anymore. Like, nope, okay, this was a mistake. I take it. I own it. That was me. I'll fix it. Even if it wasn't me. Okay, yep, I'm really sorry. I will fix it. It doesn't matter. Okay, these are my circumstances. I'm going to make the best choir program ever. Now, this is what's so great. Because that literally changes your emotional state at the same time. And you will feel less depressed and less angry. And you will feel 100% exhilarated by the prospect of finding the solution yourself. So if you're feeling discouraged, I know this last year has a lot of people discouraged, especially in the arts. Especially in choir where it was like, hey, guess what the most dangerous activity in the entire world is? Nope. Not free climbing Yosemite with no harness, that's like relatively safe. Singing 
is clearly and most obviously the most deadly thing anyone could ever do is basically the message we were hearing. And whether that's hyperbole or not is not the point of the conversation. The point is is that singing became this taboo behavior. So what are we going to do about it? Are we going to just blame the virus? Oh, this virus really, this virus took a year from us. Did it, though? Or the government shut us down. Well, yeah, but what are you, again, what are is in your control? Do you take accountability for what's in your control? And I think that I saw so many great innovations in the choir world over this past year. I think it's amazing. So don't don't let your less than ideal circumstance trap you in a victim mentality because you are not a victim and you totally have the power within you to succeed now the great thing is is if i okay we're going to we're going to take a shift now if we shift this conversation over to some practical concepts within early music and you talk about that concept we've been talking about a couple times of line going back to the metaphor of the of the the uh, stage diver body surfing on the crowd at a rock show whose responsibility is it to hold up the line well every single person's and you can't do anything about the person next to you you can only do you can only control your line so how many of our singers be like oh you missed your entrance oh well i was waiting for the tenors and the tenors missed theirs well were you counting did you listen to the basses too Okay, well, what do you, you you clearly need a better like aural cue or kind of foundational stone to latch onto than just the tenors because I tell you as a tenor it's uh it's a bad bet. It's a bad bet. Not as bad a bet as the basses. Oh. Throne shade, just kidding. It's fine. But I'm just saying that is the great thing about polyphony is that in order for it to work really well, you have to work together. And everyone always talks about we're in this together, we're, we're doing this together, but it's really easy to get in the, well, you're not doing your part. <laughs> Are you doing your part? Okay, well, if you, if you can honestly say yes, then what can you do? You can gently invite, you can like talk to people, teach people, but not in an accusatory way where you're turning them, causing them to feel like a victim because if they feel like it's on it, who has the accountability? You always have the accountability. Whose fault is it when you're wrong? Yours. Who's gets the credit when you're right? The other person. I, it may sound weird, but that's going to lead you to a lot more success than you can, than you could, possibly think because it's a paradox so with polyphony you have this this interweaving of line and it and it is not just the notes and the rhythms it's 
the rise and fall of the pitch. It's the pacing of the of the tempo and the meter. And it's the interplay between, well, whose part needs to be accentuated here? Oh, here's this little repeated suspension figure or this rising note figure. Okay, well, maybe we bring that out a little bit more. And then you fall back into the texture. So it all is working together, but you really have to be paying attention to what the other line is doing, not to fix them, but so you can fully give everything to your own individual line because you have to know how you fit in to the texture of the whole. But you have complete responsibility and autonomy for your own line. And the altos also Full autonomy, altos, full autonomy, sopranos, basses, tenors. You all have complete ownership over your line. And as you do that, you start to find this balance between, okay, I am completely in charge of me, and I have to figure out how I fit in with the whole. And uh, I think that's why early music and polyphony is so incredible. And that's how we should approach all choral music, really, right? Well, all of life, I guess. But that's why I think early music is so good at teaching ensemble singing because a true ensemble sound is one where there's this sense of complete individual ownership for the performance by every single person. And if someone's not doing it, who's in charge of telling them? Maybe the person in charge. But really, in the end, it's only them. So when you get singers bickering at each other, it's never. when has it been a complete and amazing success to have teenage singers kind of yelling at each other to be better? I can think of none times. None. Not nine. None. None amount of times. None of the times. Every of the time, it happens never. So help to teach your ensembles, for those of you who are conductors, for those of you who are singers, you can do your part. For those of you who are composers, who you know, whose responsibility is it for a bad performance or of a, of a piece? I, I don't know. I don't have all the metaphors and all the exact, you know, prescriptions and designations of when this would apply but it really can apply anywhere let me just be clear again that doesn't mean that everyone has ideal circumstances and then you just need to accept those as okay well i'm just gonna have to accept these circumstances and live with it forever wrong that means that you can take yourself out of your circumstances Maybe not physically, but you can change your circumstances based purely on your perspective. And that will eventually lead to different physical circumstances. Even if it takes a long time, it takes a lot of patience. Everyone's favorite word. So, a really great example of this is Palestrina. Again, I talked about Palestrina before, but... The way that he took accountability and said, you know what, I'm going to, I, okay, 
they're going to outdo polyphony or outlaw polyphony. They're going to do X, Y, and Z. What are you going to do about it? Well, okay, I can control X. And so he changes up his style a little bit and he writes in a more conservative way. Now, did he just like, was he just completely miserable writing that his whole life? No way. He thrived. He delved into the depths of what is pure polyphony, this expression of faith in music, this expression of line in music, this interaction between parts. Limited use of consonants. And he, if you really go and explore, there's so much depth and so much craft and mastery that has to be had in order to write that way. And he's the best of the best. So the when thinking of well well it's easy for them it's different for me it's not that's the exact problem the victim mentality i'm sure it was just as hard if not harder but palestrina as he kind of revisited his compositional style and re-looked at it and had to rethink of, okay, what am I going to do here? He had the absolute courage to see it. Okay, I can't do secular madrigals anymore. He had the heart to own it. I, I did that. I was that way, and now I can't do it. And the polyphony can't be complex, and I have to, I have to change stuff. Then he has obtained the wisdom to solve it. He became a master of the craft of polyphony. I think when you think of the masters of polyphony and the godfathers of polyphony, really there's kind of like three pillars. Uh, I know there's more. And there's sub-pillars and then there's secondary pillars. There's all this stuff. But really the first three that come to mind is really Josquin, Palestrina, Bach, and he's one of them because he mastered the craft. I know there's a lot of you out there who, who listed different composers in that and went back to the Notre Dame school and with uh, Peritan, Leonet. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. Uh, but the obtaining the means or exercising the means to do it then is the final step and he did it and he pumped out so much music for the church so 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 much music for the church and while he's not necessarily the savior of polyphony as everyone thinks he is there's no doubt that studying his compositional style shaped composers throughout western music history all the way to today and continuing forward because there's something about the way that he organized and choreographed sound that speaks to our primal instincts. And he got himself out of the victim mentality, the victim cycle, and lived above the line. So that's my challenge to everyone in the audience, everyone listening, is in whatever aspect you need to, 
is to examine yourself and ask if you're living above the line. It's hard. It's not like, oh, this is a feel-good episode. This is kind of like a gross medicine, cough syrup type episode where it's like, ooh, that's kind of uncomfy. But that's okay because therein is where growth happens. And I've just been so driven lately and obsessed with this concept of what are we going to do about it and how are we going to improve and progress and success and I think that every little bit of wisdom that we can obtain from books like this not and and applying it to our craft is, is what it takes and so early music and the Oz exemplifies yeah that's a better word early music exemplifies the Oz principle it like is the Oz principle in musical form living above the line it is the line and we have to live above it then applying that to all other aspects of your life Sometimes that happens naturally and organically and seamlessly, and other times it doesn't. So there's my challenge. All right. Thank you for indulging me and going with me down the yellow brick road to the Renaissance of Oz. If you have cool metaphors or anything you want to write us about, feel free to write in soundofagesquire at gmail.com. Visit us on our website. Write us a review. Give us a five-star rating. Give us feedback. We love hearing from you. If you tell us the show sucks, we'll see it, own it, solve it, do it. Um, We have some great episodes coming up in the next couple weeks. We'll have an interview with Paul Smith, the founder of Vocus 8 and the Vocus 8 Foundation. And uh, several other interviews that are going to be really exciting. So be sure not to miss a single episode of Early Music Monday.